Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we chat about the World Cup with our friend Rob Gale, former Valor FC head coach, working the Canadian National under-16 and under-20 teams, now a coach in New York. He's going to come on to talk about Canada's performance against Belgium, as well as looking ahead to their chances against Croatia. And then Ron Atesh of The Athletic joins us to talk all things Winnipeg Jets on the podcast. Canada, last... Well, yesterday afternoon, I should say. I was going to say last night. It was in the afternoon. A pretty solid performance against Belgium. Very respectable in their first World Cup match in 36 years. But they didn't get the result they wanted. Canada now waits till Sunday morning, 10 a.m., for their next match against Croatia after giving Belgium really all it could handle in a 1 0 loss. To me, a casual soccer follower it seemed like a really strong and encouraging performance against one of the top teams in the world a guy though who knows a lot more than i do about the game is rob gale former head coach and gm of valor fc former coach for canada's under 16 and under 20 teams now a youth academy coach with new york city fc rob is my read on today's or yesterday's game close to to how you saw it too yeah i think that's fair to say i thought we were pretty good i think the press worked very very well I think we were a little bit wasteful in the final third. Um, and on, on days like that, when you play a top-level team and, and we're not quite there yet, we have to be very good and they have to be bad for it to be the sort of perfect storm. And I thought that was there yesterday. You know, Kevin De Bruyne was very poor. He said so himself afterwards. I thought Eden Hazard was their standout player. Um, I think their back three struggled a lot. And credit to us for causing them problems but it was a game that I know and I sort of text messaged John back and forth today they'll be disappointed in the room because there were points to be had yesterday So if they score on the penalty in the early part of the game do you think the day goes differently? No doubt about it first goals are so important in the game I think the statistic is if you score the first goal 70% of the time you do not lose so you're at least getting a point um, in in high level football, so that was huge. And I know lots of people online and others have asked because Alfonso doesn't usually take penalties. Uh, he doesn't do it for the club, and Jonathan David does. So it was a little bit of a surprise to see him. I think he took that responsibility on himself, knowing what a big important moment it was, and he is the the big name in our squad. But Obviously, uh, he didn't hit it as well as he liked, and it was a it was a huge moment in the game that ultimately affected the result, no doubt. So David should have taken it. I think yeah, easy in hindsight, right? Of uh, you know, Courtois dives the other way and doesn't stop it, and Alfonso's a hero. But you want a player that usually takes penalties for their club team, and and Alfonso Davies is a, is a lot down the pecking order in Bayern Munich, and. Jonathan David is a, is a regular penalty taker here and for Canada. So, yeah, you know, like I said, it's it's easy in hindsight and when you're not there, but um, it, it seemed like a strange decision at the time. What are the positive takeaways from that game, even though Canada didn't get a point out of it? Oh, I think that'll be, that'll be uh, huge positives. Uh, I know the support and the fan base and, and even the feedback from, I know people in the media across in Qatar right now have told me that the, the, the buzz is around how well Canada performed. And it may be surprised a few people, everybody except for all of us who've been seeing a play over the last couple of years. So 
I think that the positives are this is one of the more favoured teams in the world. They've not been terrific in qualifying and the golden generation probably hasn't got as much talent on the field with Lukaku missing as as they would have liked. But to go toe-to-toe with a team ranked number two in the world, and I say toe-to-toe, we were the better team on the day. We created more chances. Uh, we had more expected goals, better quality of chances. Um, so play that game, exact game, 100 times, Canada wins more than 50% of the time, realistically. So I think they'll take that. They'll take the positives for the guys that settled them into the tournament. They will feel incredibly confident in the way that they kept the ball, used the ball, um, had territorial advantage in the game. Uh, I think there'll be a huge um, swell of confidence within the camp and the fan base that says, we thought we could do it and we thought we could play at this level, but yes, look, we've proved it now. So let's build on that. The same level of performance against a Morocco and a Croatia and we will break our drought at the World Cup. So it is Croatia who's next 10 a.m. Central Time on Sunday morning. Croatia and Morocco played to a nil-nil draw. How does Canada match up against the 2018 runners-up? Very well, you know. I mean, again, they've got recognized stars. They've got world, world-class world talent in Luka Modric, you know, Ballon d'Or winner, no doubt about it. He, he's top draw. But you, you've seen our shape, our organization, the way we played. Uh, we have a lot of pace and dynamics going forward. And Croatia is an aging team, similar to the Belgian backline. So in any game, we will cause problems. There's no doubt about that. We have to find a way to, to be less wasteful. Uh, it wasn't Jonathan David's best game. Kyle Larin, obviously, is, is an option that we have. Maybe trying to get Alfonso Davis a little bit higher up the field. He, he, you saw he tried him on the right, inverted, and gave him a little more freedom as the game went on. So I'd expect to see that uh, as a couple of changes for us in our next game. Um, but for sure... There's not a man in camp, I don't think, that doesn't think uh, we can we can get points off Croatia. The fact that Morocco and Croatia tied, that's a good thing for Canada, right? Any time in your in tournament football, if teams do not get three points, three points for the win is a killer. So if one of those teams had three points, for instance, Morocco um, had got three points, then we're having to win games uh, to go through. So if, if, for instance, now with those both on one point, one win puts us potentially with, let's say, Belgium take care of Morocco, or even if that's a tie, we're right back in the hunt to finish in the top two. So anytime teams can take points off of each other, uh, that is very good news. And the fact that it was a goalless draw are even better because goal differential comes in uh, huge in, in these kind of things uh, when head-to-heads and, and, and points are very, very tight. So uh, if Belgium could tie Morocco and Canada can get a win, then you know we're right there, second in the group, and would only need a point against Morocco to go through. So that was a key result for us. And I thought that would buoy us before the game. And obviously, in terms of performance, uh, it, it certainly did. How thrilling was it just to see Canada playing at the World Cup. <laughs> yeah, awesome. <laughs> you know, awesome. 
that giant flag before the game and the boys screaming the national anthem, come on, Miller, a tear running down his cheek, you know, gave me goosebumps. I'm sure it gave, I know it gave all the fans the same feeling, just a, a feeling of, wow, we are here, we are on the world stage, and rightly so, and deservedly so, and I, I think we proved that we'll be there for a, a good amount of time to come, but yeah, it was, it was just terrific to see, and I think there was an overwhelming feeling of pride amongst everybody and proud to be Canadian before, during, and after the game. So every team has now played one match out of their three-match round-robin schedule. What's the biggest takeaway from you so far? Is it Argentina and Germany losing? No, not really. I think what impressed me more was the manner of England and Spain's wins. Um, There's always surprises in the early rounds. Uh, this year especially, I think, with teams in season. Um, and it's never about the opening games. It's a, it's about building that momentum through the team. I don't write off a Germany. Uh, it, you know, they could easily go the way of a France in the past and lose all three games and, and bow out, you know, in disgrace. But teams build during the tournament and tournaments aren't won in the first game or the second game. So that. That didn't surprise me. I thought there would be surprise. Uh, there would be shocks and surprises. Uh, I really enjoyed the Saudi Arabia performance and the celebrations from their fans. It was amazing to see worldwide. Um, the same with Japan, you know, uh, beating the Germans. So uh, I think that's not unusual in tournament football. What's going to be really interesting is to see the teams that that slowly grow performance to performance and the confidence builds because they're the ones, you know, you, you need to be wary of. And there's always there's always the shocks, but the teams that go quietly and consistently about their business are, are going to be a real threat here. You mentioned that they're playing in season. The fact that the World Cup's being played in November, December instead of in the summer, how much does that change things for the players? You know, it's very different. Um I've got some friends who are obviously playing and former players and people that I know who I've talked to. And um, it's a different mindset in terms of uh, a lot of the players in Europe. It's a good thing because they haven't had that, you know, break and and the rest. They've gone in, they feel fit, they feel strong. Obviously got to get used to the heat and the time changes and those elements, which, like I say, the teams that settle in will build throughout the tournament. Um, where it's tricky, I think, is more for the likes of Canada and US and the teams that are off-season right now, some of the Scandinavians who had the breaks during the winter uh, where they haven't had regular game time and matches. And and that's almost become more of a traditional style that you're doing it like the European players on a break and you've had time to get away from it, but then you have to rebuild again. So, yeah, it's always very interesting because there's players in season in-season, players out-of-season, and um, it's who can adapt the quickest. And, and again, for the conditions of the tournament itself, uh, you could see the, the game became way more open the second half, and there was some fatigue on both teams out there. And it, it's who can deal with those elements uh, and adjust to them the most that, that is the most important thing. Before I let you go, Rob, just after one round of matches, who is your winner pick at the moment? <laughs> I I I had gone for Brazil. I've gone for Brazil to beat England in the final, so I'm going to stick with that. But I've got to say I was impressed with Spain as well. So 
if I was doing my pulls again, I might have Spain to get a little bit further in the tournament. But I'm uh, I'm I'm sticking with Brazil. I think their, their squad depth, their quality, um, the conditions of the tournament. Uh, I'm 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 going to stick with them. Perfect, Rob. Appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for this, and enjoy the rest of the World Cup. Pleasure. Take care, Christian. Good to speak to you, mate. NHL back on the ice tomorrow when the Winnipeg Jets are in Dallas to face the Stars. And men who will be covering that for The Athletic, writing great articles, including one profiling Hermantown, Minnesota recently. Read that with dinner tonight. That's Murat Atesh of The Athletic. Murat, how are you tonight? Hey, Christian. I'm doing well. Happy to provide some some dinner entertainment. No, it was, it was well done. For, before we get to last night's game, just as a writer, how much fun do you have going to places like Hermantown to tell stories? The absolute best, Christian. It's the absolute best. Uh, the ultimate goal, I think, with all of these guys, the Jets, who you know, so many people in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and beyond care so much about, is to sort of show who they are as people. And what better way than to go to the hometown of Neil Pionk and Dylan Sandberg and talk to mom and dad and sit on the front porch and have a cup of coffee, head down to the community rink, and you'll get into that sort of depth of, of profile and. You know, the Pionk family and the Sandberg family were so generous with their time. That is the dream. If that was my if that was my day every single day, I mean, I already have one of the best jobs in the world, but that's the absolute pinnacle of it to me. You can find that on The Athletic as well as all of Murat's pieces. Now, last night's game in Minnesota it did not go well for the Winnipeg Jets. They got absolutely pummeled by the Wild 6-1. to one. Is that I know Rick Bonus said they're not going to flush it. They're not going to forget it. But what can the Jets take away from a loss like that? I think for me, it's about how they responded to the early moments of the game. Because those first two goals that Minnesota scored, Mason Shaw getting a lucky bounce, uh, it hits the goaltender, hits the back of Josh Morrissey's leg, then goes in. Kalen Addison's goal too early in the second period. You know, Connor Hellebuck's trying to fight around the screen. Winnipeg's mostly in good position. Just as he gets his eyes on the pocket, hits him in the shoulder, goes up into the air, and then ends up in the net. These are bounce goals. They're they're fluke goals. And you could really look at the game and say, well, hey, you know, the Jets didn't get the bounces. It was 2 nothing, uh, and it was unfair. But I think that the way Winnipeg responded to that or tried to handle that didn't really offer a lot of confidence. We haven't seen a lot of games like this where Winnipeg sincerely gets pushed out of the rink. But Minnesota out-hit them, out-checked them, won all of the little battles, got to the front of the net, did all of those things right to the point where the shot clock was was tilted well against Winnipeg. You don't like some of the penalties that they took either. It was sort of undisciplined moments. Uh, Blake Wheeler for one of those, Cole Perfetti for another one of those. And they let that game get away from them instead of sticking to what they do well and pulling back into it. So I think that one's more about a- about attitude than aptitude, I would say, in terms of what didn't necessarily go right when things started to bounce wrong early on in that game. So is that an outlier, or do we have to wait and see how they respond tomorrow to really get a good gauge of what that game might mean? I mean, I to, to know for sure, yeah, we have to wait and see and see what that response is like. But I look to early on in the season for clues, and there have been tough games where Winnipeg, you know, maybe they had a lot of chances early and hit too many posts. You know, before Kyle Connor started scoring again, there were those types of nights where Winnipeg was generating chances and not finishing them. And they did really good jobs to stay with it and to keep playing the right way, keep managing the puck well, 
keep doing things that lead to outchancing the other team. And you saw them gut out wins. I mean, the most spectacular one was recently when they gave up those three goals to Carolina and then they won it in overtime, but they did it against Montreal. They did it against Chicago. They've done it against so many teams. So yesterday to me stood out because Winnipeg completely let it get away from them. Now that they have Thanksgiving off, I believe they're watching the Cowboys today. Um, you know, in Dallas, getting ready for, for tomorrow, just sort of taking it easy a little bit. Um, I think that what they do will be the, will be the, term, the determinant of how we judge it, how, how well they're able to respond and, you know, maybe dwell on the things that they need to dwell on and make sure they keep their attitude and disposition right uh, against Dallas because they're a good team too. And Winnipeg might not get the first or the second goal, so they've got to be able to buckle down and get it right uh, the way that they've mostly done so far. The top six without Nikolai Ehlers has been, well, we've seen it for most of the season because Ehlers has only played two games and it's going to be a long while before he plays again. As currently constructed, do you think that's enough firepower or potentially should Kevin Chevaldeoff make a pre-deadline, pre-pre-pre-deadline move and move one of the many defensemen they have to try to get some help in the top six? I love the phrase pre-pre-pre just because of how early it is in the season and you normally don't see that type of move from Kevin Shevelday up for a lot of teams uh, at this stage, there's usually quite a bit of weight and see to it. I think it's obvious that Winnipeg's underpowered offensively right now. I mean, without Nikolai Ehlers, that certainly hurts. And Winnipeg, to my way of thinking with their top six with Ehlers in, and then with Lowry and once upon a time, a help, a healthy Morgan Barron and Mason Appleton on that third line, you know, they were, they were good, but they were not so elite that they could lose somebody like that and, and emerge unscathed from it. So far, we've seen mostly Sam Gagne taking that spot now that Appleton's uh, out too. And, you know, that, that's, a, that's a player uh, downgrade in terms of that. It also changes the way the rest of the lineup looks. Winnipeg's not getting a tremendous amount of secondary or primary scoring right now. So you do think, it is very clear, I think obviously it would be well, they look at all the veteran defensemen, look at all the, you know, the depth on defense they have. Billy Hainel has only gotten to a couple of games now, whether it's him, whether it's a veteran, maybe there's a move that moves the defenseman for, for a forward. At the same time, up until about this point, Winnipeg has defended so well and gotten such a good goaltending, first and foremost goaltending, um, that you like how they've handled it. And you, I wouldn't necessarily begrudge a Kevin Shevel day off if he was looking at it saying, well, hey, bonuses version of this team plays pretty well. We can goaltend our way and, and timely score our way to some wins. The problem is games like last night, if they become a pattern, then Chevy's going to be forced to act. We saw as well Mark Scheifele and Pierre-Luc Dubois get swapped. And when you're down a bunch of goals, it's not a bad idea to see the blender out. Do you think that's something we might see run for a bit? I think so. Um, whether they, let's say whether they go to those exact lines tomorrow or, or just keep them in mind as a mid-game option, I think that one thing the bonus has had success with is knowing when to mix things up. And I think that Winnipeg needed something. And they didn't end up getting it too, too well because penalties cost them and the penalty kill wasn't able to bail them out of it. Uh, but there were stretches, you know, starting midway through the second period when the blender came out where you liked what Winnipeg was doing. And so the, the more options that he can throw and the more that he can mix up certain things when things aren't going well, I think that he'll go back to it. I think he's been really good with that. One curiosity is that 
despite multiple players taking penalties that you don't like or you wouldn't like, multiple giveaways, all those sorts of things. It was Cole Perfetti who was benched for the third period, uh, the entirety of the third period last night. And so we'll look to see whether he gets the job that he used to have right back or if there's any mix-ups that go in on that front as well. So we could continue to see change depending on how Winnipeg responds. What have you thought of Perfetti's season so far? I think that it's been bookended by strong stretches of play, but there were a few games in, in sort of the middle of what I would call Winnipeg season where I would say he came off of it a little bit. And what I mean by that is, you know, last night you could say you don't like his penalty. Um, you know, it was a slashing penalty. It looked like it was taken in anger, but he was also generating chances and the puck wasn't dying on his stick. And over the last few games, that's the trend you've seen. He's been an offensively dangerous player. He can make passes the play continues and usually creative and good things happen. That was definitely the case for his first few games of the season where it seemed like um, that line was particularly dangerous and in a possession sort of way, but also in terms of the plays that they set up for each other, the problem was almost they were passing too much and passing off some of their chances to score, but they were doing tremendous things in the offensive zone in the last, in that middle part between the beginning and the most recent few games, I thought that you started to see him sort of get caught up to a little bit. His speed costs him. um, And I think he wasn't necessarily playing with a tremendous amount of confidence in terms of reading off of the veterans on his line. And I think all of it adds up to pretty good, unspectacular, pretty good. And the sort of thing that you'd expect from a player of that age, uh, hopefully for the Jets' sake, that uh, that benching was a one-time thing and he gets his game going right back to where it's been most recently. Do you think that Dubois and Wheeler are the right line mates for him? I mean, that's a fun one. I I completely understand the theory. They're such big guys. They're good at protecting the puck. Uh, They're tremendous offensive thinkers, just as Perfetti is. And maybe they think the game slightly differently, but you can can understand that vision and, and the quality of his playmaking are one of his biggest strengths. And you could say that about Blake Wheeler as well. And then purely Dubois seems to play well with no matter who he plays with in terms of bulldogging his way into the offensive zone and defenses can't, can't handle him. So you like the idea um, when you see it mixed up a little bit. And, uh, you know, Perfetti probably thinks the game in a similar way to Mark Shifley as well. Kyle Connor is going to make any playmaker look, look uh, tremendous and effective because of the way that he jumps into empty spaces and shoots. I think that there's room for Winnipeg to experiment on that front and to keep mixing it up. Um, and, Maybe for me, I know this is a question about Cole Perfetti, but in that little bit of the game where you saw Dubois and Kyle Connor reunited, there really was something special there almost immediately. And to me, that harkens back to last season where Connor and Dubois were both phenomenal and Connor obviously put together 93 points. If you're looking to juggle lines right now and look for chemistry, I start with Dubois and Connor together. And in the end, as long as Connor Hellebuck is near Vesna level, this team can go far, right? I mean, yeah, that's that's the thing about the Winnipeg Jets. We've seen what Hellebuck can do to very well below average teams. You know, he, he kept that 2020 team very much in it, despite its waiver wire defense core that it was running and the amount of time it spent in its own zone. So far, he saved Winnipeg in a few games, but the Jets have controlled the flow of play and a whole bunch more. And there's been a lot to like. Um, the Jets, with the wins that they've put together so far, they can afford to lean on their goalie a little bit right now. 
uh, as long as uh, as long as they keep the absolute dogs of efforts like last night uh, to a, to a minimum. Well, should be interesting to see how this next little bit develops. It's a pretty important part of their schedule because they've got some tough games, more division games, and they're they're pretty beat up right now. I mean, yeah, the the list of injuries goes like you you know as you well know well beyond Nikolai Ehlers. I mean, Logan Stanley didn't travel with the team just now. Uh, he's in Winnipeg skating. Dylan DeMello, I think, is an option for tomorrow in Dallas, but that's not a sure thing. Morgan Barron, Mason Appleton with their wrist injuries. I mean, there's, uh, you know, there is a sense that injuries have taken their toll, to be sure, on, on the Winnipeg Jets. But, of course, you also see this happens to, to teams around the league. And, you know, the great ones find ways to win and keep winning because, you know, they stick to their game or they're deeper built to, to begin with. And Winnipeg's had enough success that you might like them to dig in and double down on the things that have been working for them early. I think one of the advantages in the next little while is that once they get back home from this trip, there's an awful lot of home games on their schedule. Um, and there's also an awful lot of games, I think, against teams that aren't presently you know, above the playoff cut line. So as long as they get through this, get some of their best players back heading into the next couple of weeks, you might imagine a stronger, um, you know, December and into the holiday time. Rob, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this, and we'll uh, see you at the rink next week. Right on, Christian. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m., of course. That is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell, until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you.